Today I want to preach to you a message out of Exodus chapter 33. It's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. I have a lot of favorite chapters in the Bible, but this is one of my favorites. And the title of my message today is Distinguished by the Presence. How many of you know that when God wanted to redeem mankind from our sinfulness and redeem really this world from its fallen state, He started by choosing a man named Abraham. That man's family became God's people. That family became the nation of Israel, which brought forth our Savior Jesus, who's not just the Savior of that family or that nation, but the Savior of the whole world. And so now we, as the people of God, we are his family, right? And how many of you know that when God called Abraham, he said, I want you to come out from the nations and be separate. And he said to the nation of Israel, as he was establishing them throughout the book of Exodus and Leviticus, he said, I want you to be different. I want you to be separate from the nations around you. I do not want you to be like the culture around you. I want you to be different because the culture around you is corrupt, it's dark, it's evil, it's bad. In fact, when you read in Leviticus, uh, somewhere around chapter 20, 24, somewhere in there, God is listing, there's a whole chapter about what types of sexual sin to not commit. And I mean, he lists, the whole chapter is pretty much any type of sexual sin that you could imagine or think up is listed And God's saying, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. I mean, a whole chapter. And then he gets to the end. He says, oh, and by the way, and don't sacrifice your children in the fire. And he says, it's because of all of these things, these detestable, incestuous, molestatious sexual sins and the sacrificing of children in the fire. It's because of all these things that the nations around you have become corrupt And that's why I'm allowing you to go in and drive them out. It's not because you're so righteous. It's because they're so evil. And and God was using the nation of Israel to drive them out, to kind of act as his police force, to limit evil on the earth. And he was going to bless them. And there's a whole chapter full of blessings and a whole chapter full of curses. And he says, listen, if you listen to me, if you live by my ways, you're going to be blessed. So I said before you today, life and death, choose Life, the ways of God are the ways of life. And he's saying the ways of the nations around you, they're the ways of death. And so if you're going to be my people, you need to be separate. You need to be different. You need to be distinguished. Distinguished. It's not a word we use a whole lot in in our culture today. But to distinguish means to perceive a difference in. Like you can distinguish between right and wrong. When you look at a person that believes in Jesus and when you look at a person who does not know Jesus, the person that knows Jesus, there should be some things that distinguish them. You should, in other words, you should be able to perceive a difference in a believer. How many of you have ever had an experience where you've been out in the world and you're interacting with someone maybe in a business setting? 
maybe when you're purchasing something or you're getting insurance and they're just being super nice. And by the way, they're talking to you. You're just kind of like, man, I just kind of feel like this is a believer. Has anybody ever had that? And then, and then you just kind of get the courage and you just go, can I ask you a question? And maybe you don't go, do you love Jesus? Maybe you, maybe you come in soft and you go, do you go to church? And they go, yeah, I go to church. And you're like, you love Jesus, don't you? Yes, I do. I knew it. I could tell just by the way we were interacting. Maybe some of you have been blessed to have someone say that to you. We should be able to perceive a difference in people who know Jesus and people who do not. To distinguish also means to mark as separate or different. To make noteworthy or remarkable to give prominence. Our differences give us prominence. We don't take pride in that. We don't try to be prominent. It's when we're different in the way God wants, God gives us prominence. It's called favor. You should be able to tell a difference between someone who knows Jesus and someone who doesn't. Because someone who knows Jesus is a new creation. Someone who knows Jesus has his Holy Spirit living within them. Someone who knows Jesus doesn't need to fear death because their sins are forgiven and they have the hope of heaven. Someone who knows Jesus has the same power that rose Christ from the dead living within them. People who don't know Jesus have none of those things. They are, as scripture says, without hope and without God in the world. So would you all agree with me that we should be distinguished as believers? We should be different. We should be set apart. People should be able to perceive the difference. Amen? We're meant to be distinguished. But what should distinguish us? That's, that's what I want to talk about today. What is it that should distinguish us? Well, Exodus chapter 33, if you have a Bible, you can follow along. We'll have it on the screen if you don't. If you have a digital Bible, you can pull that up and follow along as well. Exodus 33, we're going to look at most of the chapter today. It says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and the people brought up, out of Egypt and go to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff necked people. And I might destroy you on the way. Some good uh, good encouragement here from the Lord. Amen. That's my word from you today. Going up. He's not going with you because he might destroy you. See you here next week. (laughs) Wouldn't that be sad if we ended right now at this point? God seems a little upset, doesn't he? I'm here to tell you, he is a little upset. (laughs) Our God has emotions. Our God is a God who expresses his wrath every single day. And that didn't stop after Jesus died on the cross. Wrath is 
anger, indignation against injustice. You should be thankful God pours out his wrath because he pours out his wrath to stop evil on the earth to this day. He poured out his wrath on Jesus on the cross for those who would believe in him. But a day is coming, the great and terrible day of the Lord, where he will finish pouring out his wrath on all people who do not come under the blood of the lamb, the great Passover lamb, Jesus. And so God's a little upset. Why is God so upset? If you read the previous few chapters, Moses has been up on the mountain with God. 40 days and 40 nights without eating or drinking. I don't recommend that, by the way. That was a supernatural fast. And he could tell he didn't need to drink because if your face glows from being in the presence of God, then you can maybe go without water, okay? But he's up there in the presence of God, probably seemed like five minutes. (laughs) And God's giving him the Old Testament law. He's giving him the, the whole civil society that they're going to set up. And he gives them this great vision of the tabernacle where God is going to dwell among them, where they're going to worship him. And the tabernacle was the precursor of the temple. It was a giant tent that had roughly the same dimensions. And it was beautiful, right? It was going to be this artistic tent that had beautiful embroidery, lots of vibrant colors, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, cherubim woven into things, bells and, and, and all these pomegranates woven into things, beautiful embroidery and tapestries. And in the holy place, there was articles made of gold. And then in the most holy place, there was the Ark of the Covenant, which would have a jar of the manna, and it would have the stone tablets of the Ten Commandments, and it would have Aaron's staff that it budded, and they would put all this in there to remember, and then they'd put the, the covering on, which had the cherubim, the two angels, and between their wings, God would literally manifest his presence in a cloud. And he said, that's where I'm going to dwell among you. I'm going to dwell among you as people. This is something that has never happened in history to this point. It's very special. And, and he's giving, and, and he's like, I'm giving you artists, Bezalel and Aholiab, these amazing artists. They're going to, you've got the vision, Moses. These artists are going to bring it to life. When you go back down, you're going to commission them. You're going to take up offerings. You're going to do all this stuff. It's going to be amazing. And so Moses is on the mountain with God receiving this amazing vision. And God gets done and he says, now get down there because the people have already begun to rebel. And Moses is like, what? And so they hightail it down the mountain. And while he was gone, it was only about five weeks he was gone. But the people got impatient. They didn't wait on God. And because they weren't willing to wait just five weeks, just five weeks to know what the plan was, they decided to worship the way they had witnessed in Egypt, who liked to worship golden calves and lots of other things. And so they took gold and they gave it to Aaron the priest and he melted it and made a calf. And when Moses comes down and confronts him, he's like, I threw the gold in the fire and this calf came out. (laughs) Sounds like my toddler. (laughs) I don't know how it happened. (laughs) And then they began to worship the calf. And they said this, it's a key statement, this is the God. It says, this is the Lord, which is Yahweh, it's his name 
in that passage. This is the Lord, Yahweh, who brought you out of Egypt. This right here, this golden calf. And they began to eat and drink and indulge in revelry. They named it God, but it was not God. They wanted to define God because when you define God, you get to define morality. You get to define how to worship. You get to define how to live. your. In other words, you get to do whatever you want. God said to Moses, I am that I am. We don't get to, I don't get to define who you are. You just are who you are. I don't get to make up who you are. You are who you are. God is who he is. We cannot define God. We can only discover him and then choose to worship him for who he is or not. And so they bought into this lie. Oh, we think we can make up who he is. They make this calf. They begin to worship the way they want, which is indulging in revelry means they begin sleeping around, partying, think orgy, and don't think too hard about that. But, but that's the type of thing. That's, that's what we're talking about. Drunkenness. And it was getting out of control. And so Moses calls, he says, whoever's for the Lord come to me, the Levites come to him. He said, go through and strike down the people that are committing these crimes against God. And about 3,000 people. You have to understand when it says the people were getting out of control, you're talking 2 million people gathered together. It was utter chaos. And so the Levites were like the military police, like, uh, we're shutting this down. And they go through. And, man, I really feel for Moses. Because he's up on a mountain, he gets this beautiful vision. He's like, this is going to be amazing. And he's probably like a level 20 out of 10, excited about what God's going to do. And then he comes down to this. And God's angry. God's upset. Moses is angry. Moses is upset. Moses grinds the golden calf into powder, and he makes the people drink it. That's like your mama washing your mouth out with soap. He's like, you want this? Here, drink it. And that, right after that moment, is where we find the Lord saying, go on up to the promised land. I'm a good God. I promised it to you. It's yours. Go on up. I'll send the angel. I'll send an angel to drive out the nations. Don't worry. You'll win the battles. I'll send an angel. But I'm not going to be there. Because you have shown you don't want me. So I'm not going to go with you. And God's testing them. In other words, he's saying to them, I'm going to give you your dream. I'm going to give you the desire of your heart. That thing that when you're alone and you have a quiet Saturday and the dust settles from the week and there's this aching longing in your heart and you go, man, I just wish I had this in my life. And you've been hoping for that for years and you've been longing for that and you see other people getting that and you just wish you could do that. The dream, the desire of your heart. Let me ask you a question this morning. If God gave you the same offer, you can have your dream, but God wouldn't be in it. Would you take him up on that offer? 
This is what he offers to them. I'll give you the dream. I'll give you what you want. But I won't be in it. Do you still want it? It says, when the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn and no one put on any ornaments. For the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites, you are stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you for even a moment, I might destroy you. Now, take off your ornaments and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb. Mount Horeb is Mount Sinai, which is the mountain of God. So they haven't even, they've left Egypt. They haven't even moved on from Mount Sinai. They're still about a year out of Egypt. This is very early on in the journey. And God says, strip off your ornaments and I'll decide what to do with you. He's giving them an opportunity to repent. And he's going to see, are you going to say, no thanks, we'll just go on up to the promised land without you? Or are they going to strip off their ornaments? What are they going to do? The people did choose to strip off their ornaments, their jewelry, their fine clothes. Uh, it, It was a form of what we might call fasting or humbling yourself before the Lord. This shows genuine repentance, godly sorrow, because they did not take him up on his offer. They said, no, we want to see how he's going to deal with us. And I think it's because they realized, wait a second, wait a second, this is a bad deal. Because if God's literal presence had not gone with them thus far, they would have been dead already. Because it was God's literal manifest presence that parted the Red Sea and then destroyed all their enemies to keep them safe. It was God's manifest presence that brought water out of a rock. It was God's manifest presence that caused manna to fall in a land where there was no food. And he was feeding them supernaturally every single day. And so I think they began to realize, wait a second, if God's not going with us, this ain't going to work too well. I wonder if you took a few moments today, maybe while I continue to speak, and think about all the things God's done in your life. And if God had not been with you, where would you be? If God had not been with your kids, where would they be? And then you go, oh, oh, wait a second. Maybe I don't want the dream if God's not going to be in it. I remember when I first came back to Christ after a few years of not walking with him and living in a very worldly way, I, I, the fear of the Lord came on me when I realized this because you get some distance from when you first get saved. Let me say it this way. It's easy to depend on God when you're needy. <laughs> When you're going through a hard time, you're like, oh, I'm coming to church because I need help. Lord, help me. (laughs) But then he helps you and you get some distance from that. Right? And you can start to drift and you can start to think, I'm pretty good now. And I remember the fear of the Lord coming on me when I was starting to get established in in my new walk, when I wasn't living in sin. And I remember praying at that time because I was beginning to experience some favor of God on my life from walking with him. Any of you experienced the favor of God 
And you're just like, there's no way they should have hired me. <laughs> there's no way. There's no way I should have gotten that raise. That was totally Jesus. I remember when we were moving to buy our house, we had a month to find a house, buy it, and get the deal done before we moved. One month to do all that. It takes a month just to get the paperwork, right? And I was telling my wife, it ain't going to work. And, and, you know, we're going to have to rent. And then we're going to have to rent for a while and find a place. It's sorry, you know. It ain't going to work. This is when we were moving down here to start our church uh, like 10 years ago. And, you know, my wife has faith. And she goes, well, we'll just pray. And I go, hon, it would have to be God. <laughs> and I said that like, it ain't going to happen. And it happened. <laughs> Found a place the next week. Boom, boom, boom. And the day we moved, we stopped in Columbus on our drive down to sign the closing document at a bank. And then we drove straight to the house. And he did it. And so I was starting, you know, after I'd come back to Christ, I was starting to experience favor of God, answered prayer, you know, and you're just going, whoa, like God's hand is on my life. And I remember the fear of the Lord coming on me at that time, and I prayed this simple prayer, God, please don't ever bless me more than my character can handle. And... I got some distance from that, and then you realize, well, I want to be blessed. <laughs> so now, even in ministry, we, I, we've experienced the favor of God on our lives and in our church, and so much, so often. It's been amazing when you really look back and see all that God's done. And so now, something I pray quite often is God, is God whatever, like people prophesy things over you over your calling, over our church. And it's these great, awesome things. And you kind of hope that the Lord will do these things. And I have faith for it. That's awesome. That would be great. Let's do that. But now my prayer has been over the last several years, God, however much you bless me, my family, our church family, our ministry, I only ask this one thing, that you would proportionally increase my humility and character to be able to handle and hold what you give me. Why? Because I never want the blessing of God to cause me to forget about God, and then the blessing would become a curse. And I have enough fear of the Lord in me to know that I'm not immune from that. And no one in this room is immune from that. You think your trials test you in life. What if God gave you the praise of man? And the word says that's when we're really tested. When you have the praise of man. When you have favor. When you have success. There's a guy in the book of Proverbs, Augur, son of Jacob, Proverbs chapter 30, who said a similar prayer. He said, two things I ask of you, Lord, do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me, so keep me as a man of integrity. And, this is the second part, give me neither poverty, I think we could all, yeah, yeah, Lord, don't give me poverty, nor riches. Whoa, whoa, Augur, calm it down. Calm it down, Augur. What are you talking about? But give me only my daily bread. 
Hmm. I mean, I pray the prayer of Jesus, give me my daily bread, but I don't mean like only my daily bread. <laughs> like give me some daily bread and a whole lot of other stuff, right? Augur's saying, no, I just, I just want the daily bread. Why is that? Otherwise, he goes on, verse 9, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. So God, don't let me be poor. Can I get a good amen? Can we all pray that together? God, don't let us be poor. Thank you, Jesus. Amen, Augur. Way to go. Why? Because we might steal. We might be tempted to do things that are unethical to provide. He's like, if I'm so poor that I need to steal to provide for my family, that's a hard place to be in. I don't want to be faced with. So God, don't let me be poor. But he also said, God, don't give me too much riches. Otherwise, I might forget about you. Wow. There's the prayer of a man who is saying to God, I don't want the dream if you're not in it. Because I know where that's going to go. Our Lord and Savior Jesus said it this way, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? I want to encourage you, church. Some of you who have prayed and asked for dreams and desires of the heart, and God has just flat out told you no. No. <laughs> You can trust his nose because perhaps he's protecting you from a blessing that would actually separate you from him at some point because you would prostitute yourself to it. And you'd make it an idol in your life. And maybe he knows that and he just goes, nah, I'm not going to, I'm just going to say no on that one. In fact, one of the most often repeated forms of God's judgment in scripture is him actually just giving people what they want when it's not him. And then he just backs off and he lets that work itself out. And the consequences are not good. Because when we make anything else God in our lives, we will plunge ourselves to ruin. And so it's a scary thing when God goes, you can have what you want. Go ahead. Go ahead. I hope that puts the fear of the Lord in you. Man, we need more fear of the Lord. Amen. So God, so God has now drawn back because the people rejected him. They wanted the golden calf. He gives them this ultimatum and they repent. But watch what Moses does. Verse seven, it says, now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. I want you to notice it says not just Moses, it says anyone. So Moses sets this tent up. The word in King James is tabernacle. It, that's the word for tent. He sets a tent up, a tabernacle, and he would go to it. But anyone was welcome to go to it to meet with God. Verse 8. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while Moses spoke, while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face, 
as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. I want to point out that when Moses was doing this, this tent, this tabernacle, it was not the tabernacle of the vision that God gave him on the mountain, not the big tent that they were all going to make together. They hadn't done all that yet. This is just a little rinky-dink tent that Moses set up because he wanted to meet with God. So, so here's what's happening. God's upset. Moses is upset. Everybody's in trouble, Right? Your parents come home early. They caught you in the act. Everybody's in trouble. That's the situation. And God says, I brought you into this world and I can take you. You know, that's effectively what he is saying. And he's saying, you go on up. You have the dream, but I'm not going. So God pulls back. The people are repenting. And Moses does this very bold thing. Moses sets up his tent. God had been very clear. If you don't worship me the way that I'm telling you to worship me, there are severe consequences. God did not tell Moses to set up this tent. This was Moses' idea. This was Moses going, I have to meet with you. I have to be in your presence, God. I have to hear from you. I have to spend time with you. I'm not up on the mountain anymore. I'm sorry. You can kill me, God. But I'm setting up a tent and I'm going into it to meet with you. Because Moses was saying, hey, I don't want the dream if you're not in it. I will take a tent in the middle of a desert if you're there, God. That's what he's doing. And he would go in and he would spend time with God. And it says the people would watch him. The people would watch him. It's interesting that it says anyone could go into the tent, and yet there's no other record of anyone else going into the tent except Moses, and everyone else would watch him and stay at a distance because they were afraid. Several chapters earlier in Exodus chapter 20, when God gave the Ten Commandments and he spoke to the whole nation in an audible voice, while thunder and lightning and a cloud was coming down on the mountain. It was a, an earthquake. It was all shaken. I mean, you want to talk about a terrifying experience. And they heard the literal voice of God. He spoke the Ten Commandments audibly to the whole nation. God had told them, I want you to be a kingdom of priests. And yet, in Exodus 20, after that experience, 18 and 19, it says, When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke they trembled with fear they stayed at a distance and said to Moses speak to us yourself and we will listen but do not have God speak to us or we will die God's plan was I want you all to be priests I want you all to have a relationship with me like Moses has a relationship with me and in Exodus 20 they essentially said no thank you (laughs) you scare us Moses, you talk to him. Moses, you spend time with him. You get a word from God. And then periodically, I don't know, maybe once a week or so, you tell us what God wants us to do and we'll do it. But don't have God speak to us or we'll die. 
Perhaps they also realized to be close to God meant you have to be consecrated. You have to be set apart. You're going to have to live different. You can't live how you used to live in Egypt. You can't crave the food you had in Egypt. It's going to require a lifestyle change because it's like a marriage and God's going, I am the greatest thing that's ever existed and I will give you all of myself, but not if you're going to be cheating on me. And so I need you consecrated. I need you set apart. And I think the people were like, yeah, I don't know about that. Going to hold on to some of my lifestyle. Going to hold on to some stuff. Moses, you talk to him. You be all set apart. You live all holy. You talk to him for us. Then you tell us what he wants. And so many Christians are doing the same thing today. And they come to a church once a week or honestly in our, in our day about once a month maybe. A couple of times a month now is the average church attendance. And they say, well, I haven't spent time with God. I, I'm going to church, though. I'm doing my part. Hey, what, Pastor Aaron, you spend time with, you live all holy. <laughs> you deny yourself. You fast. <laughs> you don't watch the bad TV shows. You live all holy. You spend time with God all week. You get a word. Then you tell us what he wants. And it'll be spiritually nourishing for like a day. It's a daily meal. So many Christians live that way. And they wonder why it feels like their soul is starving. You, church, are a kingdom of priests. And I'm here to tell you today, you have a tent. You have a tabernacle. You don't have to be in the promise. It's not about the promised land. I think sometimes we do a disservice when we prophesy over people, God's got this great calling on your life. He's going to use you to be the next Billy Graham and reach millions of people. Because I think sometimes what that does is it tempts people's pride rather than their love of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit will cause you to prophesy over people when that's what he wants in that way. And, and for some people, they need that they don't have, they're like, God can't use me. They have no self-esteem. They have no confidence. And the Lord's like, I can use you to do whatever I want. And this is my plan for you. Now get on it. I'm prophesying. That. Like, so if the Spirit's telling you to prophesy over somebody, that, that's great. But man, I'm telling you, so many people, I see so many people who want to go into ministry, who get tempted more by pride then by, I just want to love the Lord and I'm in ministry to love the Lord and do what he wants. And what if the Lord's job for you in ministry is stacking chairs, cleaning floors, and just, just pray while you do it. And I'm going to have you do that for about 40 years. Who wants to do it? Raise your hand, right? Praise God for you guys. Because what if that intercession is what opens the gate? Asbury, woo! A guy preached, kid stayed after. What if there was an old lady sitting at home praying for revival and that's why it happened? Everything God calls you to do, me to do, is important. Whether it impacts millions of people or not. It's important. God gave me this picture just this morning. It's like World War II. It's like, like you're, you're the guy on the gun, and there's the Nazis. Get them. And, and you're just 
yeah, I'm destroying the enemy. And it's like we all want to be the guy that feels like what we're doing has impact. And I see the bullet and I see him go down. Yes, I'm winning. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. And God called some guy in Minnesota to work in a factory to make the bullets. And he's just doing this all day. And he's like, man, my life sucks. I don't even know why I'm doing this. I don't even know if my life matters. And then he calls some other guy to just be the reloader. (laughs) And he's like, I can't wait till my shift's over because I'm not shooting at anyone and I'm only getting shot at and I might die, but I'm just reloading this gun and ouch, that's hot. Okay, keep going. (laughs) But the enemy only gets taken out. If there's a guy making the bullets and there's a guy reloading and there's a general and there's someone working in an office shoveling paperwork so everybody else knows what to do, somebody working switchboard so everybody gets communicated, it's all important. And so often I think God, well, not so often, when God calls people, the vast majority of the time, 99.999% of the time, he calls them. And he may prophesy a great calling over them. He's like, isn't that great? Isn't that amazing? Yeah, Billy Graham. Whew, awesome. I want you to start at this church. And I want you to serve in the kids' ministry. And then people go, eh, I don't know about that. I don't know about this calling. I thought you said that. Yeah, I did. Here's your next step. Those who can be trusted with a little can be trusted with a lot. And he's going to use those little things to grow your character, to grow your wisdom, to grow your experience, and to keep your heart humble. Then he goes, hmm, like that. Servant. They're spending time in the tent, (laughs) in the desert. (laughs) They're spending time in the tabernacle. Mm-hmm. This person's, they get it. I, now I'm going to promote them. Now I'm going to use them for greater things because they get it. That's how he works. That's how he works. You have a tabernacle. It's a tent. Paul said this tent of a body. You have a tabernacle. It's a tent. It's a temple of the Holy Spirit. It's you. Wherever you go, wherever you are, God's in you. Isn't that amazing? Do you spend time with him in the secret place, quiet time, one-on-one, talking to him, spending time in his presence, because I'm telling you, you can get all the stuff you want in life, but if you don't have that relational experience with God, it doesn't matter. So Moses is spending time with God in this tent. And listen, he gets a little more bold. And I happen to think this is one of the times he's in the tent. This is one of the conversations. So it's giving us context. Moses is bold. He's like, I'm setting up this tent. You can be mad at me, God, but I'm doing this. I have to spend time with you. And it says in this conversation, verse 12 of Exodus 33, Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, lead these people. But you have not let me know whom you will send with me. This is Moses going, God says, I'm not going with you now. And Moses is like, you want me to lead the people into the promised land without you? You haven't been telling me who you're going to send with me. 
You have said, I know you by name and you found favor with me. That's what God's been telling Moses. You ever had people prophesy lots of good things over you for a long period of time and nothing but bad stuff happens in your life? <laughs> you need one of the, you need to get in the tabernacle. You tell God how you feel. You've been telling me all this good stuff's going to happen and all this bad stuff just keeps happening. You've been telling me that I've found favor with you. You've been telling me that you're pleased with me. And listen to what he says next. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember, this nation is your people. Moses is literally going, oh, hold up. Oh, no, 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 no. I didn't even want to do this. You set a bush on fire. You made me do it. And remember that I made the excuses and you said, I gave you your mouth. You better shut it and you better go do what I said. And remember what I said to you? Oh, Lord, please send someone else to do it. Moses said that. <laughs> and God goes, it said God burned with anger. I'm calling you. This is Moses going, I didn't even want to do this. I didn't do anything wrong. These people did the wrong stuff. Now you're saying you're not going to go and I have to lead them by myself? They're your people. He's like, I'm not doing that. There's another place in the book of Numbers where Moses pushes back on God and he says boldly, you can kill me. I'm not doing it. Go ahead and kill me. Because the calling of God is irrevocable. And Moses has enough humility and fear of the Lord to go, I can't get out of this. <laughs> he go, I can't quit. Because I fear him, because I love him, and he wants me to do it. But now he's saying he ain't going, oh, I don't think so. I will sit right here. And I'll be stiff-necked. I'm not going. I'm not doing it. These are your people. Verse 14, the Lord replies to Moses. My presence will go with you, and I'll give you rest. God goes, all right. I see the repentance of the people. I see them saying, man, we don't want the dream if you're not in it, God. My presence will go with you, and I'll give you rest. And Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? Key verse for today. What else will distinguish me and your people from all other people on the face of the earth? What is he talking about? Is he talking about God's moral law, the Ten Commandments? If the Ten Commandments don't go with us, what else will distinct? No, he's not talking about that. Is he talking about the tabernacle worship? Is he talking about the civil society? Is he talking about the angel that's going? No. He says, if you, Lord, if your presence does not go with us in a manifest way where everyone can see that you are with us and you, are, you, you care for us and you are taking care of us and you are providing, if your presence will not do that, don't send us up from here. And God says, I will. And he says, good, because if you don't, what else will distinguish us? Set us apart. Mark us as special or different. Give us significance and prominence in life. What else is going to help 
people perceive a difference in us except the presence of the Lord. We are to be distinguished as Christians by one thing. The presence of God. The presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That is what we are to be distinguished by. I wrote it down this way. We as Christians are to be marked, known, and distinguished by the presence of God. What does it look like when someone is distinguished by the presence of God's Spirit in their lives? I have four things. I'm going to say them quickly. There's fruit. There's favor. There's friendship with God. And they're filled with his spirit. Number one, there is fruit. When you have the presence of God in your life, when you have the Holy Spirit and you're communing with him, spending time in his presence, not just once a week, but every day, man, you start to, when you keep in step with him and you deny yourself and live how he wants you to live, you start to bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Let's just talk about the first three. Love, joy, and peace. Exude out of your life. So much so that other people notice. And here's the key. Anyone, whether they're a believer or not, can be loving and they can be joyful and at peace when life is good or when something really good just happened or when they're with people who really love them back. The real test, the real distinguishment for us is through the hard times of life when you're serving people who just mistreat you and mistreat you and mistreat you. Man, I feel, you read Exodus and Numbers, you're gonna start feeling sorry for Moses. The dude does nothing but what is right. He almost gets killed three or four times by the people he's leading. And he personally has to suffer many times because of them. At one point, God says to him, forget it, I'm gonna kill all these people because they're evil and I'm going to start over with you. Like he's going to be the new Abraham, just one guy and I'll build a family. We'll just start all the way over. Just push the clock back a, a thousand years or so. We'll get back to this point. I've read that many times going, man, those people are lucky. I'm not, I wasn't Moses. <laughs> I'm like, let's do it. It'll be easier, right? <laughs> On my bad days, I can't do it, Lord. Moses goes, don't do that. And it wasn't because he cared about the people. He was like, the Egyptians will hear, and then they'll think you're a bad God. I know you're not a bad God. I know how evil these people are. (laughs) But I don't want you to get a bad name. God's like, all right, we'll just keep going. There's fruit. Moses kept loving them. Moses was humble. Moses' own brother and sister speak against him, come against him. God rises up and gives her leprosy to discipline her. And Aaron goes, Moses, pray that God heals her. And he goes, oh, Lord, heal her. He doesn't go, I'm praying for her. (laughs) He doesn't hold it. Moses is so humble. He just loves and loves and loves and serves. And then he gets slapped on him, and you're not going to the promised land. Because he was so mad at the people because they weren't obeying God. So the rest of his life is in the wilderness. And he never quits, and he always keeps doing what's right the rest of his life. Because he loved God. And he served God. And you see the fruit of God's presence in his life. 
And he's like, hey, I, I told you, I don't care about the promised land. If it's a tent in the desert and you're there, then, then I'm good. You can tell what's in a piece of fruit when you squeeze it. You squeeze an orange, you get orange juice. You squeeze a lemon, you get lemon juice. You can tell what's in you when life squeezes you, when life's hard. And I don't know about you, but I've seen some people who are distinguished by the presence of God. I've noticed it the most, I think, and most often at funerals. And you walk in, and I've walked into funerals of people who don't know God. And it's, it's a sad, sad thing. They're, they're without hope and without God in the world. And then you walk into a believer's funeral or a believer who just lost their kid. And they're radiating the peace of God. And you're just like, whoa. And you get convicted by it because you're like, I don't know if I would have that much joy and peace. And they're like, are you okay? And I'm, you're just like, am I okay? Are you okay? So there's fruit when you're filled with his spirit, when you're distinguished by the presence. There's fruit. There's favor, usually through circumstantial providence, answered prayer, or miracles on your behalf. Psalm 34, 19 says, the righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. Not from a few, not from one here or there, but from all of them. Favor doesn't mean you'll have a problem-free life. It means when you encounter problems or crises, you pray, you seek God for wisdom and help, and then he helps you. And I remember... Early on in my walk with God, after coming out of a sinful lifestyle, getting into problems, getting into hardships, praying, and seeing God do stuff. And I was like, whoa, this is different. (laughs) Miracles are happening. Things lining up. Circumstantial providence. Divine appointments. You just run into somebody, and boom, they bless your life. I've, I've lost count of how many times we, we're running out of money as a family and then our car breaks down and we're like, oh, it's going to be thousands. And we're, and we're talking to some other people, mechanic people, they're like, yeah, it's going to be thousands. And you get it in there, it's like, oh, it turns out it was just this and it's fine. And it's like, here you go, you don't owe me anything because it was so easy to fix. That just happened to me a couple months ago. That's happened many times in our lives. What is that? That's favor. We get into a pinch, we get into a corner, and we go, oh, God, help us. And he goes, okay, boom. And it's happened so often now, when you walk with God a long time and that happens over and over again, guess what? You begin to trust him. Oh, he really is with me. And then the next time you get into a pinch, you go, it's going to be all right. You ever met someone that distinguished by the spirit of God, by the presence of God in their life? Something horrible happens, and they're just like, man, it'll be all right. God's going to, I can't. I had, there's a guy who goes here, a tree fell in his house, ruined his roof in a storm a few years ago. And he goes, you know, I had this tree fall in my house this week. I'm like, that, that's terrible. I'm like, what? And he's just like, yeah, but I just thought to myself, I can't wait to see how God works this for the good. <laughs> I'm like, he's different. He's distinguished. He's distinguished. There's favor repeatedly on your life when you're distinguished by the presence. Three, there's friendship with God. These people are always fresh with God. They're always telling you a story. Like, man, I was just reading the other day in the Bible, and God said, and I was like, oh, man. It was like, this is going on in my mind. I'm like, wow, God spoke to me. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Isn't that crazy? 
And you're just like, I don't read the Bible that much. I'm like, yes, that's great for you. Man, I just had a dream the other night, and I felt like it was the Lord, and then I told it to somebody, and it really happened. Oh, my goodness, it was amazing. They've always got a story about, I was talking to somebody at work, and then God came up, and Jesus, next thing I know, they gave their life to Christ. And they're always telling stories like this. And you're sitting there going, how, did I, how do they always have that going on? It's because they're distinguished. They've got friendship with the Lord. And they spend time with him so much, he's always speaking to them. And he's always showing them things. And because it's a friendship, he's always, listen, we're his servants first. We become his friends later. <laughs> and so he's always going, now I want you to do this. And whether they feel like it or not, they do it and they see God move. And so they have this friendship with the Lord. And lastly, they're filled with his spirit. They're filled with his spirit. They have received and they operate in spiritual gifts. And they, they operate them in a very prophetic way, being led by the spirit of God. And they know that their gifts are not about them. They're about serving other people. Moses was the most humble man on earth at that time, it says. Jeez, I wonder why God called him for such a very important thing. Did you ever make that connection? I didn't realize I was gifted in ministry until I was in it. And part of me has wondered, maybe I wasn't gifted for it until I was in it. And maybe God didn't call me because I can talk real good because maybe I couldn't talk real good to a crowd until I was already in it. And maybe God called me because I just loved him and I was serving him in my local church and I was serving on worship team every single week. And I was, we had the, it drove me nuts. We had these transparency books with the chord charts and I was stuffing the transparencies for, for a few hours. It took so long. Praise God for iPads. And you can just, oh, oh, there, I just swipe and oh, there's the next one. And websites, you upload them, people bring in their iPad, you don't have to print anything anymore. Praise the Lord Jesus, you kids have it so easy, right? <laughs> we got in-ear monitors now, we used to have to use stage monitors, and the sound guy, you gotta really love him, and he better really love you, because it was difficult. <laughs> and there are many, many times when people compliment me or tell me what a great pastor, how gifted I am, I'm like, you don't even know. My wife knows. I had a friend of mine who told me he was at the very first sermon I preached to a group of about 30 youth. And he later became a part of our church, and, and it was, like, awesome and everything. And, and I remember he was talking one time, and he was, you know, I remember that first sermon you preached. And I was like, oh, Okay. And then when I asked him to be a part of our church, he said the reason he hesitated and he didn't for a while is because he remembered the first sermon I preached. <laughs> it was that good. God looks for the humble and he looks for people who love him. And then he goes, I'll use you. And oh, I know you can't do it yet. I'll, I'll help you do it on the way. <laughs> That's what he cares about. God wants us all to be distinguished by his presence. 
That's the number one thing. And there are millions of Christians on the earth who don't know his presence. They're not distinguished by the presence. They're distinct. Well, I'm religious. Well, I go to church. But it's not the moral law that just, there's lots of people who are very moral, more moral than some Christians I know, who don't have God's moral law. Pretty much every religion has some form of morality, and many of them teach the same golden rule that Jesus taught. Love your neighbors yourself. It's the manifest, real presence of God that sets us apart. And when you have that, you're going to have fruit. You're going to have favor. You're going to have friendship. You're going to be filled. And so if you're thinking about your life and you're like, man, I, don't, I might have one or two of those things, but I don't know if I'm all of those things. What do I do? And I would say, get in your tabernacle and spend time with him because that's what changes everything. Moses was very bold. He said, if you're not going, I'm not going. He said, in numbers, you can kill me. I ain't doing it if you're not in it. I don't want the dream without you. And God says, I'll go with you. Good, because what else will distinguish us if you're not with us? And then he takes it a step further. That wasn't good enough. He said, now, show me your glory. I want the fullness I want to really know the fullness of who you are. That's very bold. This is Moses who saw the Red Sea part, who saw the fire cloud every day, who ate manna every day, supernatural food from God, who, who, who he was the one who hit the rock and water came out. And he goes, show me your glory. He goes, I know there's more. I feel like I barely know you. If I have favor with you, teach me your ways so I can know you and continue to find favor with you. Moses said that. If Moses is saying that, I think we need to learn how to pray that way. David Guzik says it this way, this hunger for more of God, for more of an experience with God is a mark of true revival and restoration of relationship. Whatever Moses had experienced with God, he now wanted more. I tragically have heard some pastors and churches shame Christians for wanting more of God. Well, you're just looking for experience. Yes. <laughs> yes, I am. Because I want to know him. Yes. Experientially. I want to know that I know him, not just read a book about him. Yes. Absolutely. John Trapp, an English Bible commentator from the 1600s, said it this way, The more a man knows of God, the more desirous he is to know him. There it is, right there. That is someone who's distinguished by the presence. They can't get enough. They always want more of him. They're worshipers. They're worshipers. And they're not people who get caught up on a style or a preference. 
they're people who could walk in a church like ours or down, go down to Asbury or go to their grandma's church with just a piano and an organ or go to the Catholic mass with the choir thing and they worship him. They don't criticize. They don't think about the differences and who's right. No, they just go, I'm just here to worship <laughs> Because they just want to spend time with him. They're people who are distinguished by the presence. That's what he calls us to be. And so I want to encourage you, church, to be people who seek his presence. Who seek the tabernacle. Who view this church not as a building. Not as a podunk strip mall. But view it as a tabernacle. That when you come in, you're like, I'm here to meet with God first. Right? Especially on Sundays. And it's like, hey, how you doing? Oh, worship is starting. Gotta go. <laughs> I'm here to worship. I want to spend time with him. Amen? Let me pray for you. God, I just thank you for our time together today. And Holy Spirit, you have marked us. You marked me. You've marked our church. <laughs> And you have set us apart for your glory. I know that. And I thank you for that. And now that we know, (laughs) we can't go back. Now that we've tasted, we know you're good. We know your Holy Spirit is good. And we're satisfied, and yet we want more. (laughs) It's like my wife's cooking. (laughs) I'm fully satisfied, and yet I can't stop eating, and I want more. And... We just thank you for that, Lord. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be people who are marked by you, people who chase after your presence, not just on Sunday, but every single day, that we read your word not just to read a book, but to hear your voice. So, Holy Spirit, for anyone who doesn't know you here today, I pray, Lord, that you would mark them, that you would meet with them, that you would pour yourself out upon them, that you would give them dreams, visions, and cause them to hear your voice, to cause them to sense your presence, to fill them with your Holy Spirit. And God, I pray that we could be a distinguished people. I pray that we, people would be able to perceive the difference when they meet us. There's something different about those people. There's something different about their faith. Even from other churches I've visited, there's something different there. What is it? The Holy Spirit is there. And God, I pray that that would be true of us all the days of our lives. We love you, Lord. And I just close with this prayer. Show us your glory. Show us your glory. I just want to invite you today as we close if you need prayer for anything um, our ministry team will be available for a few minutes and I just want to say this we're running a few minutes over and we do have another service coming in so I want to encourage you if you if you don't need ministry immediately you know and especially if you have kids go grab them 
But I do want to offer this invitation that if you want to linger, maybe go grab some lunch right now and come back at the end of next service and just linger in his presence. We'll just put some prayer music on and you can just worship and pray and seek his face in this place, in this building today, this afternoon. And so we thank you, Lord, for your presence in this place. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen.